For our scripture passage today, we're continually, continuing to look at those verses that have been called life verses, those single verses that seem to sum up or say more about the gospel than maybe some others, or those verses that we found that uh, define our faith for us, that we can return to over and over again for that sure foundation and strength. And in looking at these, uh, today we're coming to the one that's probably, or definitely the most popular. This is John chapter 3, verse 16. Before we read this, let's pause for a moment in prayer. Good and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you today for all of your gifts, and especially today, Lord, we thank you for this, this holy word that you have given us, Lord, this scripture inspired, breathed out by your Holy Spirit that we might be guided, that we might be instructed, that we would know the good and right way to live, Lord, and to give us that sure and certain foundation of our faith. That Father, as we come and we read this word, we know we can understand nothing you have shown to us unless your Holy Spirit that inspired these words would inspire us again. So breathe that spirit upon us, I pray, Lord. Breathe it upon our hearts, upon our minds, that we may hear, that we may read, that we may understand your good and perfect will for us. Bless this holy reading of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the gospel according to John chapter 3, verse 16. Listen now to the word of the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John 3.16, right, probably, arguably, maybe definitely the most popular verse in the Bible. And the Bible's got some good ones, but none, none you can say are more popular than John 3.16. It's one of those verses that's kind of crossed out. It's been a cross, what they call sometimes in music, a crossover hit. Right, it's, it's kind of crossed over the boundaries of the church and gone out into the secular world. That people that never walked in church have heard of the verse, or at least heard of it somewhere, John 3, 16. But you know, it wasn't always the most popular verse. It's always been a popular verse. It's always been a special verse for our church, but not always the most popular Martin Luther, for example, called John 3.16 the gospel in miniature. So there in that one verse, in those few lines, is summed up in miniature the entire gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. But even then, it wasn't the most popular verse out of the Bible. John 3.16 being the most popular verse is something that's happened in the last 50 years from about 1970 on to today where it's really kind of exploded and you, and you see it everywhere you know uh, Tim Tebow who wore it on his eye black during the 2009 national championship and for the next 24 hours John 316 was the most searched uh, a Google search in the world there's a, a truck driver named Devin Jones he has uh, John 316 on the side of his truck you hear John 316 in country songs you see it printed on billboards 
Uh, even on the uh, inside cup of In-N-Out Burger, on the bottom inside of the Coke cup, is a little printing, John 3.16. And you see it everywhere. It is the most popular verse at the Bible. But it wasn't always this way. So the, the popularity of John 3.16 really started taking off in the 1970s when evangelists, in order to try to use TV to get the word out, would print big cards of John 3.16 and they would go to sporting events and they would hold it up and they would try to get on camera. And their hope was somebody would see this, either in the stands or on TV, and then they would decide this thing, oh, I wonder what John 3.16 says. And they would go look it up in their Bible. And they would hear or see this gospel in miniature, maybe for the first time. Now, of all the people that went to football and baseball games, to hold up the John 3.16 sign, nobody was better at it than Rainbow Man. Y'all remember Rainbow Man? Now, if, if you lived in the 70s and 80s, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. If you didn't, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. Rainbow Man, he was the king of getting on TV. He was a guy, he had this wig. It was an Afro-style wig, and it was rainbows. And he had this white shirt that said, Jesus saves. Sometimes it said John 3.16. Sometimes he had the card, John 3.16. And he, was, he seemed to pop up everywhere. First time he did it was the 1977 NBA Finals. And, you, and he would stand out because there it is, a, a free throw about to go or they're kicking the, an extra point, and you'd see this rainbow wig. And he would stand out. I mean, he really would stand out. And he was carrying a sign, John 3.16. And they say Rainbow Man, was, uh, he, was, he, he was so good at it that even the camera tried to avoid him. But he was so good at positioning himself in just the right place that he would always end up on the TV. And eventually, he became an icon. Eventually, he became a cultural icon. Everyone knew who Rainbow Man was. And in reading about John 3.16, he is a big reason why this verse is so popular. Or at least, that's what they say. Have y'all heard about Rainbow Man, what happened to him? His, his real name's Rollin Stewart, and uh, earlier this week when I started uh, doing my work for the sermon, I, I thought I'd look him up because I knew there had to be a great story about him, you know, some inspirational tale about John 3.16. Well, sad to say, since the 80s, Rollin Stewart, the Rainbow Man, has had some hard times. He's actually in jail right now. Rainbow Man is in jail serving three life sentences. And it's for three counts of attempted kidnapping. Come to find out, Rainbow Man is a bit, well, what should we call him, unstable? He's had lots of trouble. He once threatened to shoot planes flying down at LAX International Airport. He was in an hour-long, hours-long standoff with police. And he was uh, convicted of putting stink bombs at certain uh, cultural and public events. Even one day at a game... He tried to choke his wife because she was putting the John 3.16 sign in the wrong place. It's really is sad to think of somebody that's so tied to this beloved verse of the Bible could end up like Rainbow Man has. Not a very good ambassador for the church, and I've got to say, a little bit embarrassing for us. 
I mean, it's not right at all that someone like that is responsible for making popular the most beloved verse in the Bible. Except I would argue, though, that Rainbow Man really isn't responsible for the popularity. The reason why John 3.16 is big is not because of Rainbow Man. Now, I would say this. People looked it up because of Rainbow Man. But that's not why it's popular. If Rainbow Man had been having a sign for John, say, John 3.1 or John 3.6, I don't think any of those verses would today be the most popular verse in the Bible. The reason why John 3.16 is so popular is because of what people found when they looked it up. Yeah, it's true. Maybe they saw Rainbow Man or Tim Tebow or looked at the bottom of their Coke cup at In-N-Out Burger, and that's why they looked up the passage. But that's not the reason why it's popular. The reason why John 3.16 is so beloved and so popular is what people found when they looked it up. And what they found was hope. What they found was an answer that they had been searching for their entire lives. What they found was the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. Like Martin Luther said, it's the gospel in miniature. And we've all heard it, not only this passage, but the gospel. We've heard it in miniature. We've heard it in long sermons. We've read about it, and, and maybe we've actually heard it too much. We've heard it so many times that it's lost its effect on our life and how powerful this simple message is that God has so loved the world. No, I really think that this passage became so popular in the 70s and 80s is because people were less familiar with the gospel. The reason why John 3.16 wasn't big, say, in the 19th century, the 17th, or any of the centuries before is because people were very familiar with this gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. It was a part of who they were. They grew up in the church. They grew up with a Christian understanding of the world. And if someone would have said, hey, have you read this passage? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. The answer would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard. That makes perfect sense. Even if they didn't know that passage, the idea behind it is something they were very, very familiar with. But what happened in the 70s and 80s is for the first time, a whole generation of men and women were being raised outside of the Christian faith. They were being raised without this understanding that, that Christians for centuries had been raised believing and knowing that God has loved the world, that Christ came and saved us for our sins. And you have a whole generation of people that had never heard this message before. And they read John 3.16 for the first time. And for the first time they're hearing this good news. And their reaction is, wait, God did What? He did what for, for me? God did this for us? It's the first time they had heard the good news. Imagine what it would be like to hear this for the first time. Imagine what it was like not knowing any of these things that are contained in this, this gospel in miniature. I mean, and I, I'm going to admit, it, it is hard for me to imagine this. It really is. Because I'm, I'm thankful to the Lord that I was raised in a Christian household and I was raised believing and being told that God loved me, that God had saved me, and that God wants me to be with Him forever. 
I was raised in a family where my parents told me they loved me. And they let it known that I was loved. And, and I grew up with this basic assumption about life that there was a God out there who loved me and cared for me. And that he would save me from my sins. And if I believed in him, then I could be with him forever. That death wasn't the end. And this was the foundation, the basic understanding of my life. And I assumed everybody else had the same assumption. Everybody else was raised in a caring and loving household like I was. But I found out it's not true at all. There's people out there that don't know about God. There's people that are there were raised. They don't know that weren't told, weren't instructed in their life that God did love them. There, there are people out there raising a household where they didn't think their parents loved them. Where they feel like they had to earn love. That they had to earn the good graces of the people around them. That there wasn't this benign, loving, universal force out there that felt deep and abiding affection and grace for them. Hard to imagine what it's like not knowing the good news at all. And maybe we've heard it so often, it's hard for us to imagine what it's like not knowing the good news at all. But I, but I imagine it's like carrying around this heavy burden for so long that you've forgotten that this is an artificial weight. And, and it's like when you put it down for the first time. And it feels so good to have the weight off your shoulders. Or imagine it's like being, being sick for so long that you've forgotten what it feels like to be healthy. That you think this is the way life is in this, in this sick state. And then when you finally get healthy, you're like, oh my gosh, this is good. This is nice. This is what I am supposed to feel like. It's hard to imagine not ever knowing or hearing this message. But if you can imagine it for a moment, you can see that this good news is really good news. This news that, that God loves the world. And, and I think that that is what? That is the part that really touches people's hearts. It's not so much the, the eternal life, although that's, that's nice. We like that one. But when people hear John 3.16 for the first time, I think what really touches and moves them sometimes to tears is this message, for God so loved the world. And it's sometimes hearing for the first time that the fundamental force in all of the universe is love. Because they, they weren't raised to believe that. They didn't know that. They, they might have believed that even if there is a God, that he's like some impersonal force, and he's like just this force of nature. And they've been, they've been taught to believe that, that, that nature and life emerges out of competition about organisms fighting each other, one trying to dominate the other. And that's how mammals became the strongest on earth as we, we outcompeted. And we were stronger, we made the other smaller, weaker ones extinct. And then the humanoids, they, they made other mammals weaker, and we grew stronger. And we outcompeted the other ones to become human beings because we were stronger, and we fought, and we beat, and we drove the others to extinction. And the same thing happens with cultures. It happens with empires. It happens with governments and businesses. You have to fight, and you've got to compete. And you've got to drive the others to extinction. Or maybe they thought God was just distant and cold and judgmental and he was a God of laws and rules and he was out there weighing the hearts of men and women to see if they measured up and if they didn't measure it up, he was ready just to cast them off into the fires of hell forever. 
Maybe they thought this was the fundamental force of the universe, one of fierce competition and rivalry, or one of anger and judgment. And they read for the first time that this is not the fundamental force of the universe. The fundamental force of the universe is God's love. The life was not made for competition. It was made for love. The life was not made to live in fear. It was made to live in joy. And this God who reigns over all things, through all things, in all things, he's moved by love for me and for you. And this gospel message, it says, for God so loved the world. And anytime you see the world in the Bible, it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. It's the world of sinners. It's the world that's gone evil. The world has gone corrupt. But that is the very world that it said God loved. God for love, he loved the world, not just the good people, not just the blessed people, not just the good looking or the rich or the lucky. He loved the bad people too. He loved the sinners and the reprobates, the rejects, the thugs, the punks, the prostitutes. He loved the greedy, the nasty, the dirty, the unclean, the unwashed, the gangbangers, the drug dealers, the pimps, the drug users, the cheats, and the scoundrels. Yes, even them. God loved the world. And he loved it so much that he gave his son. Not just borrow, let us borrow the son for a little bit. He gave the son. He gave him to the point where he gave him his own life. To send him to die as a punishment for all of our sins. All that wickedness. All that evil, that burden of sin we carry around. It's not your burden anymore. It's the burden of Christ. There's good news that whoever believes in him, and he means that literally whoever, it can be anybody, it can be everybody, it doesn't have just to be the lucky or the blessed, those in good position, those who had good birth, those who seem the holy, righteous, the in-circle, whoever, anybody, everybody, you only have to believe, whoever would believe. And you can have this gift of grace that you shall not perish but have eternal life. Now this is the most popular verse for good reason. Because these are the words of life. You know, I look at this verse, I still can't help but think of Rainbow Man. One of those people that's so seared in my consciousness, so connected with John 3.16, I can hardly think about it without thinking about Rainbow Man. And I wrestled with him a lot this week, I really did. Because when I read about his story, I was already just, uh, I can't include him in the sermon. I mean, he, he made such a mess of everything. I cannot include Rainbow Man in the sermon, but I had this feeling, this, the, the Spirit wouldn't let me drop it. The Spirit kept nagging at me, saying, there's something in there I want you to know about Rainbow Man. And so I kept thinking and praying about it, and finally it, it, finally it came to me. It came to me that, that, that Rainbow Man, I mean, he's far from perfect. Right? I mean, he, he's made a mess of his life. But at the same time, I can't think that there wasn't at least one person whose life was changed for the better because of what he did. I mean, as so many times that he appeared on TV or in these crowded sports arenas, 
as many as people just saw that simple sign, John 3, 16, I can't help but think there's at least one person out there, probably a lot more, that were touched by his message. And it could have been somebody that's just sitting at their home feeling awful that nobody loved them. Or maybe they were sitting in a seedy motel room somewhere and thinking that life had no purpose for them at all. It wasn't worth living. Maybe they're watching the Super Bowl or the World Series. And as that home run gets hit, or extra point goes to the field goals, they see this rainbow-colored Afro wig and this crazy guy with a beard dancing around with this sign that just says one thing, Jesus, Jesus saves, John 3, 16. So maybe they decide to go and pull out the family Bible and blow the dust off of it. Maybe roll over to the motel bedside table and find the Gideon's New Testament sitting in there. And they decide to find out what this John 3.16 is all about. Maybe they heard that message for the first time. A message that they had been aching so hard, so much to hear that their heart broke when they read it for the very first time. When they found out, when they discovered for the first time that God so loved the world. He even gave his only son. And that whoever, anyone, everyone who believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. As flawed a man as he was, he was still God's instrument. As flawed a man as he was and is still, he is still, could be God's instrument. And if someone like Rainbow Man can do it, then surely you and I can be God's instrument too. I mean, I'm making an assumption here, but I'm, I'm assuming none of you have ever kidnapped anyone or tried to kidnap anybody. My good, is that a safe assumption that we can make? Yes, everybody nod. They've never kidnapped anybody. See, the secret to this is, well, there's really no secret at all. You don't have to be anything special. You don't have to do anything special. It doesn't take any special talent or trick. You don't have to know the right words and be familiar with the Bible backwards and forwards or have an answer to the deepest questions of life or, or be really good at public speaking. To be God's instrument, all you need to know is the good news. All you need to know is the good news and be willing to share the good news with somebody else, even if all you're doing is pointing them to John 3.16. Sometimes that's all you have to do is point them to John 3.16. Jesus does all the hard work for us. You don't save souls. I don't save souls. We don't save souls. We preach the good news. Jesus saves souls. We have to remember that. Remember, we proclaim the good news. We introduce them to Jesus, and Jesus does the hard work for us. All you need to know is the good news. You need to know the good news and remember why it is we tell the good news. It's not so we get noticed. It's not so we get popular. It's not so we can have this church bursting at the seams every single Sunday. Although that would be nice, that's not why we tell the good news. We tell the good news because there are people out there who don't know it. 
There's people out there still living in our country, in our community today that don't know the good news. There's children of God out there living among us. They're working with you. Sometimes eating across the table from you. They're living with you and they carry this awful burden of believing that their life is just an accident. They carry this burden of believing that they have to earn love and grace. They walk around believing they have this terrible weight of sin upon them and they don't even know it. There's people out there that don't know how they're supposed to feel. They have no idea that they're supposed to feel loved. They're supposed to feel treasured. They're supposed to feel blessed and adored by God. We're not supposed to feel guilty and awful and down on ourselves and thinking life is worthless and that nobody loves us. That's not the way we were made to live. We're made to live in the joy of our God. John 3.16 will always be a popular message because it will always be a message people need to hear. And the more that people drift away from the church, the more that people drift away from Christianity, the more powerful these words will become. Because in every human heart, there is a thirst. In every human heart, there is a hunger to hear the simple message, the good news of Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever would believe in him will not die, but have eternal life. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.